Welcome to the Apple for the Teacher podcast, the true crime podcast that features the good apples and the bad apples within the school system. My name is Anna Thomas, a teacher and your host. So join me as I present school stories that are tragic, shocking, unbelievable and outright bizarre. Welcome everyone, my name is Anna Thomas and you're listening to episode 37 of the Apple for the Teacher podcast. So great to have you here. The music you just heard is a hint for the two stories today which occurred in Australia. So the music was Indigenous Australian music featuring the instrument called the didgeridoo. I will talk more about this instrument later in the episode. Now today I have my fingers crossed that I will be able to record this episode as I've had a few interruptions lately. I record at home and as I work during the week, the weekend is my opportunity to record and I need to close all the doors and the windows as the microphone will pick up outside noises. Often I've had to re-record because of dogs barking in the neighbourhood, neighbours mowing their lawns, flocks of loud birds suddenly passing overhead, loud trucks and all sorts of other things. So sometimes I'm just about to record and a lawnmower starts or something else. So I have to hold off for a while. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed that I will get through this episode. And what I should actually do is just to leave the recording with all the noises so you can see what it's like, but I'm not going to do that. So let's get into the episode. But before we get into the stories, let's say hello to some of our Facebook group members. Hello to Nora Newkirk Leiderbach. Bree Meyer, Jessica Bishop and Tiani Bays. We have had a lot of people joining the group lately and I'm trying to say hello to everyone. So if I haven't mentioned you, I will soon. In keeping with my policy of not naming perpetrators, although we discuss some of the stories, I don't post photos of the perpetrators in the Facebook group and you'll find information and photos of the victims or the survivors in some cases. So come along and join us. And also, just listen to this lovely podcast review. A standout podcast in a crowded field. A perfect mix. Stories about crime in schools, hosted by an educator with the perfect teacher voice. The stories are fresh, well-researched, interesting and well-told, and good sound quality. Excellent. And that was from Lucky Jean. So thank you very much, Lucky Jean. And the fact that you said that the sound quality was good, I really appreciate that because that's the one thing that I've really found the hardest when doing this podcast. When I first started, I had no idea of how to do the audio and I made lots of mistakes and I had to do lots of re-recording of episodes. But now I think I've perfected it and I've managed to master how to do it. So the fact that you're noticing that is really, really great. So thank you so much. All right. Now, some of our listeners are from the country of Oman, 
So let's find out about this country. Oman is an Arab country on the southeastern coast of the Arabian Peninsula in Western Asia. People in Oman need a liquor license issued by the police to be able to buy alcohol. The permit's value is determined by a person's earnings. It is usually 10% of the basic salary. Oman has its weekend on Thursday and Friday, with Friday being the Muslim holy day. If you visit Oman, you will be struck by the majority of buildings being white. If someone wants to use paint of a different colour, they require permission from the government. The most popular carbonated drink in Oman is not Coca-Cola, but Mountain Dew. It is referred to as the alcohol of Oman, and it is rare to find Coca-Cola in Oman. You may remember the Bible story of the birth of baby Jesus, where the three wise men came bearing gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Frankincense was a precious gift given to kings and royalty in days gone by and has since declined in popularity. However, Oman is one of the few countries where frankincense trees are grown naturally. The trees contain an aromatic resin which is extracted and used in incense and perfumes. And finally, it is strictly prohibited for vehicles to honk their horns in Oman and if traffic control find a dirty vehicle, the owner has to pay a fine. So let's preview the stories today. The bad apple is called Playing with Fire. Jander was happily playing in his school playground. What happened? The good apple is called Warrior. Was the man a hero or a villain? I'd like you to imagine this scenario, which happens in schools all over the world. It's playtime, and students are having a break from their studies. Children are playing outside, enjoying all types of activities. One little boy in Australia was doing just this. His name was Jandamara O'Shane, and he was six years old. Jandamara was an Aboriginal Australian, who are the Indigenous people of Australia. They are the original or earliest known inhabitants in Australia before the British colonised Australia in 1788. Janda got his name from an Aboriginal resistance fighter of the same name. He was more commonly called Janda by his family and friends, so we will also refer to him as Janda. The year was 1996. Janda was having a drink during playtime at the water taps at school when suddenly a man approached him, poured petrol onto him and set him alight with a cigarette lighter. Witnesses say they saw Janda running around the school ground screaming with his whole body on fire. The school principal, Michael Aitken, heard the screams. He recalls the following, quote, I looked out the window and saw Janda on fire, running with his arms in the air. The principal acted immediately, smothering the flames with his hands and shirt. He was taken to hospital and had suffered burns to 70% of his body. The medical staff informed the parents that he was likely to succumb to his injuries. I remember this story so vividly. The whole country rallied around Janda. He was constantly in the news 
with photos of him laying in his hospital bed. It looked very bleak, but somehow little Janda proved to be as tough and as brave as the Aboriginal warrior he was named after. He survived, but endured four months of agonising treatment in hospital where he went through countless skin grafts. While receiving treatment in hospital, the nation had so many questions about the man who committed this act. He was apprehended and sentenced to life in prison. The man never revealed, even to this day, why he committed the act. During the trial, he did provide a piece of information that for years he had a desire to burn someone at his former school since grade two because of the bullying that he had been subjected to there. Other than that, it appears the act was random. There were many children in the playground and Janda had just been the unlucky one. Here is what Janda recalls of that day. He says, I remember the exact instant it happened. It was a pain impossible to describe. My whole body was on fire. It was stinging and I was running. And after a while, all the flames just killed off all my nerves and I collapsed in the middle of the school. On the day of the attack, his father, Tim O'Shane, rushed to the hospital. In the car with him was a friend named Lionel Rose. He was a well-known and very successful Aboriginal boxing champion. If you're in the US, imagine some of the well-known boxing champions your country has had. Well, Lionel Rose was a hero in Australia. So Lionel was there in the hospital room trying to provide strength for the family. Then a few days later, something so unexpected happened. Lionel came to the hospital with a belt that he had won in one of his fights. But it wasn't just any belt. He had claimed the 1968 World Boxing Council bantamweight title. He had been an Aboriginal kid who beat the greatest Japanese boxer that ever lived, who was called Fighting Harada. Australia has had a history of racism and oppression towards its Indigenous peoples. So this young Aboriginal boy managed to challenge perceptions and inspire others. Yet Lionel gave his belt to Janda. How gorgeous is that? Here is what Janda said. Dad hung that belt above my bed in hospital. It was the first thing I saw when I opened my eyes. The last thing I saw before going to sleep. And knowing what Lionel had been through to win it, yeah, it was my inspiration. So Janda spent week after week in hospital, but he was not forgotten. The nation had taken this little boy into their hearts and he was bombarded with flowers and get well cards. Fundraising activities took place with TV stations doing appeals and Australian rock bands putting on concerts to raise money. And to demonstrate how far and wide his story reached, Janda even got a phone call from someone he had idolised. It was Michael Jackson. Here is Janda recalling that conversation. He says, I only got to talk to him on the phone, but even that is something that I'll never forget because I grew up idolising Michael Jackson and trying to do his dance moves and sing along with him. And music itself was part of my recovery as well, just to keep me happy and stuff like that. 
Janda was related to some well-known people in Australia at that time. One was Patricia O'Shane, who was a New South Wales magistrate, and Terry O'Shane, who was the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Commissioner. Patricia was the first female Aboriginal teacher in Queensland, the first Aboriginal to earn a law degree, the first Aboriginal barrister, and the first woman, an Aboriginal person, to be the head of a government department in Australia, the New South Wales Ministry of Aboriginal Affairs. When the attacker was sentenced, Patricia publicly stated that she felt the life sentence was too harsh, which shocked many. Now, I looked for more information about this, about why she had felt like this, but unfortunately wasn't able to find anything. For such a young boy, you can imagine how unprepared he was for all the attention he was receiving. And of course, this continued after he finally left hospital and in the years that followed. Janda said, Yeah, it's a bit strange. Sometimes I forget that all of Australia knows what happened. People still want to know how I'm doing. He continued needing skin grafts and particularly when he had growth spurts. And he said, I need a new skin graft every time I have a growth spurt, but that's no drama. I'm alive and life is good. Now, I'd like you to imagine what it was like for Janda when he finally returned to school. While the country rallied around him and wanted so much to see him recover and go on to lead a normal life, you would think that when he returned to school that he would be met with open arms. However, I was appalled to hear how Janda got bullied about his scars and bandages. Can you believe it? So his school days after the attack were not happy ones. He says, They were teasing me for my bald head. Most days I didn't really want to go to school. Home was the only place that I really felt comfortable. When Janda turned eight, he was awarded $75,000 criminal compensation. Now, when I first read this, my reaction was, that it seemed a very low amount, and others seemed to agree. Some commentators said it showed inequalities in the compensation laws. Some other cases received much larger amounts of compensation, even though no physical harm had been done. Then two years later, at the age of 10, Janda was invited to be in the torch relay at the 2000 Olympic Games in Sydney, Australia. Janda was three years below the minimum age, but was able to take part with his mother accompanying him. At the age of 21, Janda became a father himself, naming his boy Rupina. Having a child made him fully realise what his mother must have gone through on that day. As his son grew, he thought more and more about what had happened. He said, It's something that is really popping up in my head a lot lately. I think because my son is now in school and coming up to the age that I was when it happened. When asked about the man who perpetrated the crime against him, Janda's response was as follows. Both he and his mother said they had forgiven the man and that they would be prepared to meet him face to face and tell him so. Wow. He said, I will decide what is right for me, and I do know when the time comes, if it does happen, it is going to be my closure. For me, it wasn't easy, 
but to spend 15 years in jail, I guess that's not easy either. My feeling towards him are, well, I do forgive him, you know, because what I've been through made me who I am today. It's always looked at as a day of survival and triumph. Jander also said he sympathised with his attacker, as it seems his motivation for the attack was being bullied himself as a child. Jander's mother Jenny had this to say, I would like to go down and see him, just to let him know, personally, that we don't have any bitterness or any ill feeling toward him. We just hope it's going to help him to move on in life and that he'll be a different person when he does come out of prison because I'd hate to be in his shoes to be judged. Wow, aren't these just amazing people? And to finish the story, here is an audio clip of Janda himself. So take a listen. Almost losing my life on that day and uh, even after it, um, still just struggling to survive in the hospital. It's, uh, it's actually quite quite a difficult thing to think about now but I mean you know I'm here and I'm happy and you know I've been blessed with such a wonderful life and everyone's uh, supported me and I have a son and um, yeah everything's great. I'd like to now share with you how I came to do this story. So Janda's story happened 24 years ago and as I already said I remember it well. But it was actually another story that prompted me to recall Janda's story. Only a matter of months ago, there was an absolutely tragic domestic violence incident that occurred here in Australia. A man killed his wife and three children by setting their car on fire and then killing himself. So what those poor children and their mother went through triggered Janda's story for me. I have some photos of Jandamara that I will put into our Facebook group, which shows his burn scars are quite substantial. But what surprises me is that his face wasn't burnt. You can see the burns right up his neck, but yet not on his face. This is just totally amazing. So how that happened, I have no idea. But thankfully, it didn't. So let's now have a break before the next story with a podcast recommendation. This podcast is called Seeing Red and is hosted by Mark and Bethan. So take a listen. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. And we are the hosts of a new UK true crime podcast, Seeing Red. We're planning to bring you an episode of Seeing Red every Wednesday and we'll be taking it in turns to tell each other about a crime. The cases we're going to talk about will be from the UK We'll be covering scams, robberies, murders and everything in between. Some cases will be solved, but some will be mysteries and we hope you'll enjoy listening to us discussing our theories on these. So, let's tell you a little bit about us. We've known each other for about five years and we absolutely love true crime. So we thought the next logical step for us would be a true crime podcast. You can find Seeing Red on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. And why not follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter to join a discussion thread about the case. Just search for Seeing Red, a UK true crime podcast. This next story relates to Janda's story, as it tells about the Aboriginal warrior and hero that Janda was named after. So I thought it would make a great Good Apple story. Janda Mara was an Indigenous Australian belonging to the Boonaba tribe 
whose territory is found in the Kimberley region in the state of Western Australia. But before we get into his story, we need to look at the history of the colonisation of Australia. The first British settlement began in Australia in 1788, which is only about 240 years ago, therefore making Australia a young country in terms of white settlement. However, the Indigenous peoples of Australia have inhabited the continent for at least 60,000 years. Cultural differences and ignorance resulted in conflict between the two groups. The colonists believed that the land was terra nullius, which means no one's land, and therefore they set about taking possession of Indigenous land for grazing and farming. They considered that land had no significance to the Indigenous peoples as they didn't see any visible signs of farming. Both groups needed the land for survival but had different ways in using the land and its resources. Indigenous customs respected the land as sacred, whereas the Europeans used the land for its agricultural uses. The Indigenous people had their sacred sites desecrated, their food sources were depleted, and water sources were depleted as well. They hit back by killing sheep, cattle and horses, and burning crops and buildings. The colonists carried out massacres with guns, which were no match for spears, and there were also cases of food being offered to the Indigenous people, which contained arsenic and other poisons. The Indigenous population declined dramatically due to the conflicts, but also due to the introduction of new diseases, such as syphilis, smallpox and influenza, which were totally unknown for thousands of years of Indigenous existence diseases which they had absolutely no resistance to. Unfortunately, these experiences of the Indigenous peoples of Australia has occurred in many other countries around the world. So this was the climate in Australia, which will help us better understand Jandamara's story. He was born in 1873, and at the age of 11, he and his mother left their tribe and went to live on a cattle station. I'm not sure why they did this, but I'm guessing that his mother became a servant on the station. So Jandamara grew up in the white man's world, learning to speak English, how to ride a horse, and how to use guns. As a young boy, he learned the skills of being a drover and shearer. A drover in Australia is a person who moves livestock such as sheep, cattle and horses over long distances. The cattle station manager recognised this young boy's skills and boasted that he was the best Aboriginal stockman. He learned the white man's ways very well. At the age of 15, he returned to his people for his initiation ceremony where he was taught the history and culture of his people. Traditionally, Aboriginal people would hunt animals, such as kangaroos, to feed their tribes. But hunting down these fast-moving animals was a long and difficult task. With the arrival of the white man, cattle then became a food source for the Aboriginal people. 
It was much easier and quicker to spear slow-moving cows than to spend days chasing kangaroos. The colonists responded by establishing police stations and trackers to hunt down Aboriginals who were killing their stock. They would round them up, chain them together and walk them long distances to the nearest police station. Jandamara was captured in one of these police raids and went to prison with his tribe members. However, his knowledge of English and the white man's ways enabled him to have his prison time reduced and he was allowed to live in the police quarters and was given the job to look after the police horses. During his time on the cattle station, Jandamara got to know an Englishman named Richardson. Richardson joined the police force and employed Jandamara as his native tracker. In those times, Aboriginal trackers were used to help the colonists in exploring the Australian landscape and also finding food and water and also capturing bushrangers. Bushrangers were escaped convicts and later the term bushranger also was referred to people who committed armed robberies as a way of life, using the Australian bush as their hiding place. Richardson recognised Jandamara's skills as a horseman and marksman, and together they would find and capture Aboriginals who were spearing sheep and cows. A number of native police organisations were established, and one of their duties was to seek out Indigenous people who resisted colonisation. So in essence, Jandamara was working against his own people. He was armed and rode horseback, tracking down people spearing stock or damaging colonial property. In one incident, he captured 17 members of his own tribe who were accused of cattle killing. One of those men was his own uncle, who was a tribe elder and had raised Jandamara. He was someone that Jandamara loved and respected, so he was caught between two worlds. His uncle instructed him to decide where his loyalties lay. He was given the choice to kill Richardson or forever remain an outcast from his tribe. Jandamara killed Richardson, set his tribe free, and then became a fugitive. The killing of a policeman worried the colonists, and the fear of further attacks from the Indigenous people resulted in a systematic program of rounding up large numbers of men and putting them to jails. Not only this, but people were outright massacred as well, including women and children. In the years that followed, Jandamara led many insurrections against the European settlers. He targeted settlers, taking their guns and ammunition, thus making it an even playing field. The first act of war was the Battle of the Winjana Gorge in 1894. It was a battle against 30 armed police and his Bunaba tribe, in which he was wounded but recovered. The siege had lasted eight hours. The Europeans hit back with indiscriminate killings of Aboriginal peoples. Jandamara soon received legendary status for his ability to target European properties in a hit-and-run approach and then disappear and elude the authorities. In one incident, he was followed by police into his hideout 
but he completely disappeared. They didn't know, but the hideout had a collapsed section which allowed exit. Therefore, his ability to vanish became mythical. His own people thought he was immortal and a physical manifestation of a spirit. As you can imagine, the police were frustrated at their inability to catch him. That's when they recruited an Aboriginal tracker named Mingo Mickey, who was also thought to possess magical powers. He tracked down Jandamara, and his three-year war against the settlers finally came to an end when he was shot dead in 1897. His head was cut off as proof and sent to a firearms company in England where it was used to show the effectiveness of the company's firearms. Jandamara's body was able to be claimed by his family and was buried inside a boab tree. These are very unique and easily recognisable trees in Australia, which have a swollen trunk, therefore giving them the appearance of a bottle. Jandamara was seen as an outlaw, but his people saw him as a hero who fought the cruelties and injustices suffered by his people. He was sometimes viewed as the Aboriginal equivalent of Ned Kelly, who was a white bushranger. Ned Kelly was an outlaw, gang leader and convicted police murderer who stood up for the common people and was defiant against discrimination and corrupt law enforcement. He is famous for wearing a suit of bulletproof armour during a shootout with police which ended his life. There has been much debate in Australia as to whether he was a hero or a villain and therefore this debate can also extend to Jandamara. Whatever the case, as with Ned Kelly, Jandamara has achieved legendary status and is remembered in Indigenous stories, songs and dances. There are also documentaries, books, a movie and plays which have told his story. So in light of what happened to young Janda, we can see how he too was a warrior just like his namesake, battling and surviving a horrific attack. When he was born, his parents would have no idea how poignant the name they gave him was to become. Wasn't that a great story? I don't know what it is about historical stories, but they just seem to give me the tingles. As today's episode had an Australian Indigenous theme, I will play some more Indigenous music before we finish, but here is some information about the instrument which is so important to Indigenous culture. The didgeridoo is a wind instrument in the form of a long wooden tube, traditionally made from a hollow branch, which is blown to produce deep resonant sounds. Traditionally, didgeridoos were made from eucalyptus tree trunks and the limbs are hollowed out while they are still living by termites, which is a small insect like an ant, but a relative of the cockroach. The instrument is about 1.2 metres or 4 feet long, and they can be played in different keys or pitches depending on the shape, the length, the width, and the wall thickness. The technique used to make the sound is very difficult, 
and it's not just a matter of blowing as with modern instruments. It takes much time and practice to master the skill. And now here's a preview of the next episode. It's called Slashing and May the Force Be With You. The two students were missing from the classroom. Where were they? Riley was a dedicated Star Wars fan. So to end this episode, I will leave you with this quote. Great teachers engineer learning experiences that put students in the driver's seat and then get out of the way. Bye for now and remember to be a good apple.